I'm David Atterbury, and this is Big Truths, a weekly podcast where we grow in Christian doctrine by looking through the door of church history. So as I said in the past two episodes, there are two marks of the true church. Number one, the pure preaching of the Word of God. Number two, the right administration of the ordinances. But you might be asking, why these two marks? Who determined that it should be these two marks? So in subsequent episodes, we're going to dig deeper into the passages of Scripture that support these kinds of conclusions. But for now, I want you to think of it this way. God expects his people to hear his word and to do his word. And that is how we know which people on earth are his people. We're going to learn about this and more in this episode of Big Truths. When the pure preaching of God's word in the gospel is presented, some people are going to be saved, and they are united to Christ in the new covenant. If they are truly God's people, then they will be led by God's spirit to want to rightly practice God's word as he commanded. So in other words, the word of God changes men's hearts to live together in obedience within the context of the church. So as I said in weeks past, the preached word makes the matter fit for the form. That's how one old Baptist pastor put it. But it's a strange sentence, isn't it? The preached word makes the matter fit for the form. That leaves us with some questions. So what is this substance, the matter of the church? What does it mean that this matter can be made fit? And how does this matter now being made fit adhere to a form? And how does this all shed light on why the right preaching of the word in the gospel and the right administration of the ordinances go together to form the two marks of the true local New Testament church? We're going to get some help right now from a particular Baptist. His name is John Spilsbury. And John Spilsbury wrote a book in the year 1643. The title of this book is called A Treatise Concerning the Lawful Subjects of Baptism. So John Spilsbury lived in a context where the constituting cause of the Church of England was the will of the king, the command of the bishops, and the law of the land. But upon examining the Bible, he and other Baptists discovered that the true constituting cause and nature of the church, it began with the word of God. So what did they see in the New Testament, these early Baptists? Well, what they saw from Scripture is that a church is created just like how a Christian is created. So God's word creates 
God's people. So just as how an individual man becomes a Christian by hearing God's word in the gospel and believing it in obedience, so also is the local church created. It is by the preached word and in obedience to the word. So listen to John Spilsbury in his book on the lawful subjects of baptism. He writes this, This will be further cleared in the Constitution of the Church, which now follows. Which Constitution is the orderly collection or conjoining of persons into the New Covenant, or visible union with Christ their head, as their mutual faith and agreement in the truth to the practice of it, and so consequently into an orderly body among themselves, wherein the saints are the matter and the covenant the form, from which two concurring, the church ariseth and is by them constituted, by which it appears, that is the promise or the covenant of grace that produceth a Christian and gives him a being in such an estate of grace, and so consequently the church itself. For that which is true in a part is the same in the whole. End quote. So in other words, the word of God creates the substance or the matter of the church, which is the saints. And then these saints' hearts, having been changed by the gospel, they believed in Jesus. They are eager to follow their master. They're now ready to be a church. And having been made fit for the context of the church, which he also calls the form, the saints gather together in a mutually agreed submission to live out God's word together, which Spilsbury also calls the covenant. So to put it all simply, God's word, rightly preached, will create Christians. And that same word will make those Christians ready to gather together and to make promises to each other to obey God's word as a church. And so the matter is shaped and made fit for the form. So essentially, you can know who is a true Christian because they are made by the word and seek to obey the word. So the same is true of local New Testament Christian churches. They are made up of Christians who are under the word who seek to obey the word together by mutual covenant. So in his book, The Lawful Subject of Baptism, Spilsbury goes on then to lay out this whole premise, this whole argument in four steps. So here's what the process looks like. He says this in his book, quote, Now for the constituting causes by which God ordinarily useth to effect this work, these are these. Number one, the word of God. 
which is to fit and prepare the matter for the form. Number two, the confession of faith, which is to declare the fitness of the matter for the form. Number three, the free and mutual consent and agreement of the particular persons upon the practice of the same truth, believed and confessed, as aforesaid. Number four, and lastly, the Spirit of Christ, uniting and knitting up their hearts together in and by the same truth. End quote. So what does this all mean? So in that paragraph that I just quoted, Spilsbury lists out the steps for the creation of a local church. So first, the word is preached. Second, men and women believe it. Third, these men and women who have individually submitted to God, they agree by church covenant to obey God's word together. And finally, the Spirit of God will continue to unite them together. And then what happens next in his book, A Treatise Concerning the Lawful Subjects of Baptism, John Spilsbury at length expands upon each one of these four steps. I'm going to give you a couple quotes from each paragraph. So step number one, Spilsbury says this, First, of the word of God, fitting and preparing of the matter. And this appears in the ministry of John the Baptist. And now the manner how this is to be done is to fill up every valley and to bring down every mountain and hill and to make the crooked ways straight and the rough ways smooth. In which sense, the gospel is a preparative means to fill up such valleys by pouring in the great abundance of God's grace and free love in Christ towards all such as believe and his all-sufficiency to preserve such as suffer for his namesake and for laying low the mountains and hills, that is to humble and bring down the proud heart of man that exalts himself and cannot submit unto the simplicity of the gospel, into that low and mean condition of Christ upon his cross. And for the crooked to be made straight, that is, the crooked and serpent-like nature, and evil dispositions of men, that shall be changed and made comfortable to Christ. End quote. So what's Spilsbury talking about? He's saying the preached word goes forth like John the Baptist preparing the way. So just as God is able to raise valleys and lower mountains, so he is able to create a people for himself. He raises up those who are low by his grace, and he brings down those who are haughty. So we cannot come to Christ unchanged. He will make us new by his word. And then step number two. Spilsbury goes on in his book for the second step in the creation of a local church to show how the preached word will change men and women's hearts. 
so that they will confess their allegiance to Christ. And then upon declaring faith in Christ, many men and women will discover each other and realize they share the same confession of faith. Spilsbury says this, quote, The second constituting cause is the confession of faith, which declares the fitness of the matter for the form. Which confession of faith is produced by the power of the gospel, shining into the heart of men and drawing away the same after by which the gospel is revealed? Which truth is of such a working nature that it will not be able to be kept in, but like unto leaven, which so seasons and sweetens the whole man, that as fire at length it breaks forth and discovers itself, or rather such as have it, and not only so, but it brings them together, by which they now come to confer about the same, so that at length they come to be of one and the same mind and judgment in it, and withal convicted of their obedience thereunto. End quote. So in other words, if a man or woman believes upon the gospel, then he or she will not be able to contain the evidence of a changed life. They're going to confess Christ publicly. And what happens next is that individual Christians, by confessing Christ, they're going to discover each other, even seek each other out. Like fire, it can't be contained. And these individual Christians, they're going to want to be united in the same gospel, which changed them as individuals. Which leads us to step three. Step three, Spilsbury says this in his book. And upon this, here follows a third constituting cause, which is the free and mutual consent and agreement upon the practice of that truth, so by God revealed and by faith received, as his will and their obedience thereunto, which agreement is between God and them in his truth, who by his power subjects them to himself by the same, and where this is in truth. End quote. So follow his logic here. So these individuals who have received God's word in step one, and these individuals who have declared their belief in God and his word, step two, will now make a commitment with other Christians to obey God by his word. Step three. So they agree to help each other as disciples obey what God's word tells them to do, which would include things like rightly practicing baptism, as the New Testament says, and rightly practicing the Lord's Supper, as the New Testament says. And what we call this mutual agreement and discipleship, what do we call it? Well, we call it a church. We call it a covenant that they make to one another. This is what makes them a church. And then step four. 
Fourth and finally, Spilsbury says, the Holy Spirit is going to bind these believers together in union. Quote, Now comes to cause in the last place, which effects and concludes the whole work, and that is the Spirit of grace and power, going forth in their hearts by faith, uniting in knitting them together up one together for the manifestation of their obedience to God in their practical subjection to Christ in the said truth by them received and agreed upon as aforesaid. And this is the covenant that forms the church, whichever goes in order before the external administration of any other ordinance than the matter's agreement together for orderly practice. For persons must be informed of the truth and judgment and bound by the same in conscience and agree upon the practice before the same can orderly be put into execution, which union is the Holy Ghost conjoining and uniting the said persons together in one and the same truth by faith. And so consequently, into an orderly body among themselves, immediately under Christ, their head. End quote. So in the paragraph above, Spilsbury writes that before there can be baptism and the Lord's Supper, there must first be an agreement between Christians to be the church together. He says this is the covenant that forms the church whichever goes in order before the external administration of any other ordinance. So they must make sure that they agree upon the same gospel before becoming a church. And then afterward, they will have an orderly practice as bound by the same conscience. So Spilsbury argued that it is the covenant, the mutual agreement of members to obey God's word together, that is what makes them the church. So in conclusion for this episode, membership at a church, it shouldn't be like membership at a Sam's club or a country club. Membership in the church is not some kind of privileged status conferred upon us with benefits whenever we want to draw upon them, like we would a country club, retaining membership, whether we attend there or not. Neither is going to a church, like going to a movie theater or a concert, where we watch what happens on stage as detached observers, and then at the end, we really have no relationship with the other concert goers. So by definition, the church is a relationship with other Christians who have made promises to each other under the Lordship of Christ. We have promised to obey God's word together. So at our church, First Baptist Church Lindale in Texas, we like to use the phrase meaningful membership. So whenever I sit down with prospective members in a membership interview, I always want to emphasize that at our church, 
we've made promises to one another. Our membership means that we are in covenant community with each other to help each other make progress in the likeness of Christ. We even have a document called a member covenant that spells out the promises we make to one another. And this member's covenant, we always read it out loud to one another. Every single time we take the Lord's Supper. As those who have been converted by the truth, we seek to live out the truth of God in a community of truth. But what if our churches don't look like this? What should we do to recover this community of truth? And I'll plan to talk about this more next week. Until then, I want to thank you for listening to Big Truths. For more information and articles, you can go to our website, bigtruths.net. And I'll meet you again next week, where we will open another door for more Big Truths. Thank you.